Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. The, the Signpost webinars are brought to you in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and the NRN. Uh, this morning, I'm delighted to, to be joined by German Cutchen. Ger is a specialist pig advisor with Chagask and based in, in Oak Park. Ger, you're very welcome. Thank you, Pat. Ger, uh, the area of the pig sector, a, a very important part of the Irish agriculture sector, is, is an area we haven't visited before on the, uh, on, on the signpost webinar. And I suppose the pig sector would have been uh, in, in years well gone by uh, a, a sector that probably had its environmental issues, a lot of which I think have, have been resolved. But it's still an area of where there are, I suppose, significant challenges and significant challenges being met on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, yes, certainly so, Pat. Uh, I know we've had Lachilin there in the past and we're back in the, in the 70s uh, at that stage, but since then things have greatly improved. We're also joined by Andy Boland to help us with, with questions. So, Ger, uh, I'll get you to uh, prepare your presentation, if that's OK, uh, and if you want to take it away. I've worked as a pig uh, enterprise advisor for the past 30 years. And as Pat said, there were difficulties uh, prior to my arrival in the, in the pig uh, development department. Uh, but um, I suppose the biggest biggest uh, issue is that, um, you know, I've always felt as an advisor that you can have an intensive um, operation or enterprise and still um, farm with, and, and keep a, a good quality of environment um, and, and quality standards uh, for, for the environment uh, in place as well. So just I'm, I'm conscious that a, a good portion of our audience today will know very little about the pig sector. Um, and for, for the start of it, I'd like to uh, give just an, over, an industry overview. Then I'll talk about the value of pig slurry. And then I look at the nitrates update just on the uh, good agricultural practice for protection of waters regulations. And a look, a quick look at the industrial emissions directive. And lastly, then I'll talk about the sustainability of pig meat production. So if I start on the first point there, the industry overview, Ireland uh, produces at this stage, we produce uh, close to 4 million pigs each year. Um, we have, and generally when we talk about uh, pig farms and commercial pig farms, um, we have 230 commercial pig farms with sows. 211 of those uh, farms are integrated farms rearing pigs from birth up to slaughter. And about 19 of those farms are breeding farms where they're rearing pigs up to maybe 18 to 35 kilos, and then they're finished off-site on specialized finishing farms. So we have about 230 units with sows in it. We could have maybe 50 to 60 uh, finishing farms uh, outside of that. And really the criteria for those numbers is within Chagas, we've looked at farms that have more than 20 sows and more than 50 finisher pigs. So. You know, if we look at the number of people with a pig herd number, there could be two to 3,000 uh, farms with a small number of pigs on them, but they're not included within these figures. From a world perspective, pork or pig meat is the most consumed meat in the world. And from that, pers from that perspective, we just need to be conscious that, you know, it is 
uh, an important uh, source of protein in people's diet. In Ireland, uh, last January, February, we had 145,000 sows. And I, I let's say, just preempt that by saying that that was before the start of the war in Ukraine. And our herd size now is um, around 130 to 135,000 sows. And we've dropped 10,000 sows because of the economic difficulties presented last, that presented last year as a result of the war in Ukraine. Feed prices have gone up in the same way as food prices in shops have gone up. Feed prices have gone up and that put huge strain on the profitability on a number of farms. So a number of farms had to depopulate their uh, sows. Pigmeat is the second largest source, uh, second largest meat produced in Ireland after beef. And we use in the region of 1.2 million tonnes of feed per year. Now, probably 1 million tonnes of, of grain is used, or potentially that, that, that level of grain is used, and about 200,000 uh, 2, uh, tonnes of soya is used. Within Ireland, we have a low density of uh, pigs when we look at other European countries. In the Netherlands, a country the size of Munster, we have probably 900,000 sows, so it's about six times the size of our sow herd. Um, so we're, we are producing about 2% of the European uh, pig meat. So that's really just an overview of the pig sector. Historically, the pig sector um, is concentrated mostly in Cavan and in Cork and in Tipperary. Um, and the real reason for that is that the pig industry developed um, on the basis of using the byproducts from the processing of milk. So, you know, it's, it's a, that's, that's why that concentration of pigs is in Cork and Cavan and Tipperary. So where you had milk processing, you generally had uh, a number of pig farms uh, developed alongside that because they were using the, the likes of whey and skimmed milk to feed the pigs. Okay. So that's really just an overview of the Irish industry. The second uh, area I'd like to cover is, well, is, is just the value of it. And this was a, a report that was done in 2022 by PwC. It was done in response to, to concerns that people had about uh, the industry and the economic difficulties they were going through as a result of the Ukrainian war. And the sector employs 8,134 uh, people. About 1,200 of those people are employed at farm level, and then the, the rest will be employed at processing level, at uh, feed mill level, and then in the services sector uh, and the equipment uh, that's supplied to, to pig farms. The, uh, in 2021, 294,000 tonnes of pig meat were exported from Ireland. The annual spend there in the bottom corner there was 897 million euros um, is the annual spend uh, by the pig sector and there was 932 million was the total value of pig meat exports in 2021 and that all contributes to the central figure there of 1.49 billion uh, which is the value the annual value of money that the pig industry generates within 
within the country each year. Often when we talk about the, um, the pr profitability of pig, pig production, we, we, also, we always look at the uh, margin over feed. And this chart just shows you from 1998 to 2022, 25 years of, um, of pig production, the margin over feed, let's say the top line here is the price received for pig meat. The middle line is the feed price and the bottom line then is the margin over feed. And um, let's say I, I put this up to, to highlight that in 2022, the margin over feed was 26 cent. Now, the last time we saw 20, uh, 26 cent was back in 1999, but because feed prices escalated, they were never as high. Um, the, the feed price in 2022 was one euro 56 cent. The pig price was 182 cent per kilo dead weight. Uh, so the margin over feed was 26 cent. The, as I said, the same price was, or the same margin over feed was achieved in 1999. But last year, we also had an increase in energy costs, which greatly, let's say, added to the cost of production as well. And that's why we had such a fallout of uh, pig of sows from the system and, and a number of pig producers, let's say, have got out of pig production as a result of the tight margins that are there. And I suppose when I talk about tight margins there, you know, it, you have to be conscious that uh, the, the pig sector is a capital intensive uh, operation. A lot of money is invested uh, in buildings and in stock and in, obviously in feed then in a, on an ongoing basis. And you need to be able to uh, make sure that your production costs are not going to, let's say, uh, exceed uh, the price that you, that you get for your pigs. Um, if we look at the last 25 years and took an average margin over feed figure there, the margin over feed was 46.2 cent per kilo. And there are some, some years in 2021, there, there was, sorry, in 2020 and 2021, there was a very good year in pig production because the margin over feed, let's say, was uh, 66 six, six cent uh, in 2020. That was really because we had high uh, values and high um, levels of pig meat going out to China because China had a problem with African swine fever there. So it's not all doom and gloom, but certainly the last 12 months has probably been the most difficult time uh, that I've seen in, in the pig sector. And the good news, I suppose, is that at this stage, the price that farmers are receiving uh, is covering the cost of the feed and the uh, other non-feed non costs. So farmers are, start, are starting back making money again, but the average loss last year was in the region of about 450,000 uh, for uh, the average sized farmer. So uh, it'll take them a long time before that money is recouped, but the hope would be that they will, they will start to make inroads in that this year. So that really is just an overview of the, uh, the pig sector. The second area I said I'd, I would cover is the uh, value of pig manure. And I've always said, let's say pig manure has a, has a high value. And at the moment, because fertilizer prices are very high, the, the value of pig manure as of the start of April of this year, based on, on chemical fertilizer prices at, uh, at the start of April this year, the value of 1,000 gallons of pig manure is 50 euros. So that's based on the NPK content of it. And 
It's based on a slurry with a 4%, 4.3% dry matter. And the figures that are in the, the nitrates regulations are if you have 4.3% dry matter, the NP and K content is 4.2 kilos of nitrogen, 0.8 kilos of phosphorus, and 2.2 kilos of potassium. All of your P and K is available, but your nitrogen is deemed to be 50% available. So for your 4.2 kilos of nitrogen, only 2.1 kilos substitutes for a chemical fertilizer. So if we put the values, let's say the third line uh, in, in that table there, the fertilizer cost per kilo of €1.97 per kilo of nitrogen, €4.16 per kilo of phosphorus, and €1.60 per kilo of potassium, the total value then is working out at €11.03 um, per cubic metre, or €50 Euros per thousand gallons. So it is a very valuable uh, fertilizer, and it really is only a fertilizer, or let's say a, a valuable fertilizer, if you're using it to substitute for chemical fertilizer. So um, it is important, let's say, that by using pig slurry, you make sure that you get your timing right and you get the rates of usage right, but you also ensure that you're not going out topping up with chemical fertilizer that you don't require. So um, you're only going to get the, the, the full value out of the out of the slurry uh, from the um, by by using it, let's say, to substitute directly for for chemical fertilizer. And we have, let's say, in the last. Uh, three weeks there, we've done a, a couple of uh, farm demonstrations on signpost farms that are using using slurry, pig slurry on tillage ground. And the savings that are there are, are, are quite impressive. And if we get chance at, uh, a chance at the end, we'll, we'll talk, we can talk about those a little bit further. In, let's say, bagged fertilizer terms, 1,000 gallons at 4.3% dry matter is the equivalent of a bag, a 50 kilo bag of 19,720. So that's, let's say, the, the, the good news story on, on pig slurry. Last year, pig farmers were able to um, sell pig slurry because fertilizer prices had gone up. They, um, they would generally work on the basis of trying to get some value for, for the uh, slurry that they sell our transport, uh, our, our, let's say, some money to cover the transport costs of it. But if you have a, a pig farm near you, it is worth firstly deciding how much pig manure you can bring into your farm to use uh, to substitute for chemical fertilizer. Decide what rate you're going to use and decide what time you're going to use it. And, you know, make sure that you are treating it in the very same way as chemical fertilizer, that that you can actually use it to get value, uh, to get its fullest value out of it. So, a thousand gallons is worth a fifty kilo bag of nineteen seven twenty. That's the, the the nice figure on that. Okay. The third area I said I'd like to talk to you today about is on the nitrates regulations, and these were updated last year on the eleventh of March twenty twenty two, and they have brought in a number of new requirements that. Uh, anyone using pig slurry or any other organic fertilizer uh, on their farms, if they're importing uh, any other organic fertilizer onto their farms, they should be uh, aware of these changes. The first thing I'll say on the nitrates regulations is when they came in in 2005, 2006, 
the requirement on farms was to have on all pig farms was to have 26 weeks storage and at that time let's say you know the storage issue wasn't a major issue because during the 1990s most farmers realized that by putting in good storage on their farms it meant that they could manage how uh, pig manure was used from their farms a lot more effectively so it wasn't a huge requirement but uh, let's say the, the storage requirement perhaps back in the 1970s wasn't as good. So that may be the reason that we had uh, greater problems back then. So uh, storage, in my view, gives you great control over, over what you do and how, let's say, you manage your slurry. And uh, it is, it, it's an important consideration. It hasn't been a huge issue for the pig sector because, as, as I said, in the 1990s, most farmers uh, realized by putting in more storage they had a lot less, um, greater control of how that slurry was managed. The, the first uh, issue in relation to the updated nitrate regulations is that the calculation for how much pig manure you can use or any other organic fertilizer that you may use is based on the current year's stocking rate. So the first uh, area that you must uh, check is, are you coming in under 170 kilos organic nitrogen uh, for your farm? And if you are bringing in an organic fertilizer such as pig manure, you must make sure that you do not exceed that 170 kilos organic nitrogen. The second calculation that you need to check when you're doing the uh, using an organic fertilizer such as pig manure is that the phosphorus level uh, and the phosphorus requirements of the crop you're growing are not exceeded. So with the, chain, with the updated nitrates regulations, all farms with a grassland stocking rate of over 130 kilos organic nitrogen per hectare need to soil test. And all arable farms must soil test. Now, the reason that uh, this is important is that up until last year, all of these farms were allowed assume an index three in their, on their phosphorus uh, requirements. If you don't soil test and um, now the index four uh, is going to be assumed if you have an organic stocking rate of over 130 kilos organic nitrogen, or if you are a tillage farm. So soil testing is important. And now you're at the point where the soil test is going to dictate the amount of phosphorus you may use for your growing crop. And uh, let's say if you don't soil test, that default position is index four for phosphorus. So that's a, a very uh, large change to uh, the, the preceding requirements. Soil tests are valid for four years and should cover an area of four hectares. And there is a, an allowance to go up to five hectares in exceptional circumstances. So the nitrates regulations, let's say, have, uh, you know, have, have, have changed. We need to be aware of those changes. From a pig manure point of view, the all pig slurry has to be spread using low, um, low emissions spreading slurry spreading equipment. So trailing shoe, trailing hose, um, you know, that type of equipment now needs to be used from the 1st of January for all pig manure. And again, that's to uh, help reduce ammonia emissions. It's also to help increase the level of um, response to the nitrogen that's within uh, the, the, the slurries that you're using. And I know at farm level, a number of pig farmers have actually said to me that since low emissions uh, spreading techniques have come in, 
they're actually happier because the issue of odor after spreading is greatly reduced. So, um, you know, that's telling you that you're having less emissions, but it's also telling you that you're, you, you probably are getting a better nitrogen response from the slurry you're using as well. Okay, the third, just as a part of this third area, I said I talk a little bit about the industrial emissions directive. All pig farms are required to have a license and under the, let's say, the industrial emissions directive, which is the directive now overseeing the pig and poultry sector, the requirement is that if you have a sow unit and you exceed 750 sow places, you must apply to the EPA for uh, an, I, an industrial emissions IED um, license. It, or if you exceed 2,000 2, production pig places. Now, a production pig is defined as a pig over 30 kilos live weight. So if you have more than 2,000 production pigs on your farm, you must also apply for an industrial emissions license. And that's the rules as they apply to the, to the pig sector. Poultry sector is also covered, um, but the, the industrial emissions directive is, has now been reviewed. And uh, as part of that review, a recommendation was brought back that all farms, including bovine uh, farms that have bovine animals on, on, on it, uh, cattle uh, will also have to apply for an industrial emissions license or a permit, depending on how it's, it's resolved at the end, uh, if they exceed 150 livestock units. So bovines have never come into the equation before, but it now looks like they're going to come into it in the future. This proposal is something that may be four or five years down the down the road, but it is being challenged, I know, by the, the farming uh, political bodies. And uh, the 150 livestock units, let's say, uh, you know, would have major impact on uh, a lot of cattle farms and dairy farms within, uh, within Ireland. This table is probably the best place to look for the, the livestock units. One livestock unit, would include bulls, cows, and other bovine animals over two years, and equine animals over six months, right? And then bovine animals from uh, six months to two years, let's say they um, account for 0.6 or equate to 0.6 livestock units. Bovine animals below six months equate to 0.4 of a livestock unit. So um, the, the 150 is being challenged and let's say in the middle of March, the, there was a, a meeting about it with, at, um, at European ministers, uh, European environmental minister uh, level. And it looks like that 150 may now be up at 350 livestock units. But even if it comes in at 350 livestock units, it still will impact on a number of dairy farms and a number of uh, cattle farms as well. So it is important to be conscious and aware of that. And I'm just alerting people, let's say, that that legislation is, let's say, being reviewed and uh, amended, let's say, uh, at, at present. Okay, the fourth area uh, on, on that I said I would cover is the area of the sustainability of pig meat production. We know that the world population has is increasing. Um, I saw a figure there that in 1800, there was 1 billion people in the world. In 1900, there uh, was 2 billion people. And now we're up at 8 billion and uh, heading fast or very quickly towards, uh, towards 9 billion. So the carbon footprint of every process is going to be uh, looked at very, very tightly and, and, and closely. So 
against that background, we said, well, what is the carbon footprint of pig meat production? And I know I was in Denmark in, in, in 2012 or thereabouts, and I remember at that time seeing that they had figures for the, the carbon footprint uh, for for the uh, per kilo of pig meat. And I said, that's that's interesting. And we do need to get into that space if we're going to help people understand that what we do is sustainable. So with that in mind, let's say Chagask, uh, the pig development department of Chagask linked with uh, Board Bia in 2016. And Board Bia then talked to the Carbon Trust in the UK because they have uh, worked with them before in validating a number of models to assess the sustainability of uh, farming activities. And uh, work was done really to develop a model to assess the sustainability of Irish pig meat production. And really, uh, we're at the point where that model is coming to completion and we are working with farmers, let's say, or we will be working with farmers over the next 12 months uh, to look at, well, what is the carbon footprint of uh, their business um, and uh, uh, per kilo of pig meat is, is how, how we're looking at that. And it's more with a view towards, first and foremost, educating ourselves. And secondly, trying to see, well, by changing certain things on the farm, how can we reduce our carbon footprint? So that's uh, what we're, we're looking at. In order to do that, we have to pull together a number of input items into the model. And I've just listed the, the items here. You have the sale weight of the animals, the pigs produced, um, which is uh, on, on the farm over a period of time, the feed used over that same period of time, the number of sows um, that, are, that are on the farm, the energy and water usage. And then let's say a breakdown of the feed ingredients uh, in the diet is required. And really, let's say when you look at the at the uh, diets that we have on farms, you have the starter creep, which is fed to the, the very small pigs uh, coming out of the farming house. You have a link diet then, and these diets would be fed in small uh, um, amounts to, to the pigs. And then when you get onto the wiener and finisher diets, they're, they're the two uh, more major diets uh, fed to, to pigs to grow them to, to sale weight. Then on the sow side, you have the lactating sow and the dry sow diets. And really, you look at the, the ingredient percentages um, because each of those ingredients will have a carbon footprint. And um, when we look at uh, including all of these ingredients, we can see, let's say, that the soya component actually is the, is the greatest uh, contributor to our carbon footprint. So our source of protein is uh, what we have to be most conscious of. And because we're bringing in a lot of soya from South America, that's the, the, the carbon miles associated with that transport and uh, with that crop uh, are, are, is what is contributing to our carbon footprint. So this is just a brief uh, section of the output report. And for this farm, the, the emissions, let's say, in kilos of carbon dioxide equivalent per kilo live weight was 5.35 for the selected farm. Okay. And the breakdown then of the, the red bar is the, is the average where, where you're benchmarking and the yellow bar then is the specific farm. And when we look at it, you can see that the yellow bar for feed is much, much greater than manure management, enteric uh, methane uh, on the farm and energy, uh, let's say uh, the, the carbon footprint of the energy used on the farm. So the feed component is 
uh, the biggest contributor uh, to the carbon footprint. And when we look at the uh, feed component, the soya is the largest contributor to uh, the carbon carbon footprint. So I suppose really what, what you're coming out with there is that the protein source and the carbon footprint associated with that, uh, with that protein source is what's c- contributing most to our carbon footprint uh, within the pig uh, p- production of pig meat. It's interesting when I looked at the tillage sector, 80% of the uh, carbon footprint from the tillage sector comes from the nitrogen usage. And we would probably say that uh, on the protein side of the pig's diet, 80% of the carbon footprint comes from, from the feed components of, of, of our diet. So if we could grow more beans and use more beans in our diets, we will greatly reduce the carbon footprint of uh, the pig meat produced. But we could also affect our feed component by improving our feed conversion efficiency as well. And if you, let's say, bear with me, we within Chagask in 2012, we had a target of producing two tons of pig meat from seven tons of feed. And that really, if you look at that, that was using three and a half tons of feed to produce one kilo of pig meat. In 2021, looking at the profit monitor figures, we, the average farms produced 50, sorry, 2.549 kilos of pig meat, uh, sorry, 2,549 kilos of pig meat from 8,815 kilos of feed. So there, there you have, let's say, when we had a target of two from seven, that was a feed conversion of 3.5 is to one. And in 2021, our feed conversion has improved to 3.46. So when we went back and looked at, at uh, the previous number of years, and if we start in the, in the year 2000, again, all of these figures are coming from the Chagas Profit Monitor. Our pigs produced in the year 2000 was 21.6 pigs per sow per year. Our live weight at sale was 90.1 kilos. Our dead weight was 68.1 kilos dead weight. Kilos of pig meat per sow was 1,471 kilos, and the total feed per sow to produce that 1,471 uh, kilos of feed was 5,385, which was a feed conversion of 3.66 kilos of feed to produce one kilo of pig meat. If we look at 2010, there's an improvement there, let's say, in terms of the pigs produced per sow of 23.9 kilos per uh, sorry, 23.9 pigs produced per sow per year. The average live weight has risen to 103.6 kilos and our dead weight has increased to 78.9 kilos. And you can see there's nearly a trend of one kilo extra on a dead weight basis uh, per year. The pig meat produced now is at 1,886 kilos and the kilos of feed required was 6,966. So here, We've disimproved um, to a level of 3.69 uh, kilos of feed required to produce one kilo of pig meat. But in the last uh, 10, 12 years, uh, and in 2021, let's say when we look at it, there has been hu- uh, further advances in genetics. Our pigs produced per sow has gone up to 28.1 uh, per year. 
the average lightweight is now up at 118.4 kilos. We're producing a leaner pig the whole time. Our dead weight of pig is 90.7 kilos. Our pig meat produced per sow is 2.549 tons of pig meat. And our feed per sow is 8.815 tons of feed. So we're very, let's say, dramatically down to 3.46 kilos of feed. So in the background, I suppose, really what I'm highlighting here is that good performance and let's say, especially on the feed side of things, good feed performance is going to help improve our carbon footprint over time. And there is a very definite trend over that 21-year period uh, from 3.66 to 3.46 uh, kilos. At 3.69 in 2010, maybe, let's say, as a result of difficulties at harvest or, or, or other issues in the industry where you have disease issues in the background. Um, I haven't looked too closely into that, but let's say the 3.46 is a huge improvement from what was uh, 3.66 in, in the year 2000. So that's really just an overview of how pig meat, let's say, production occurs in Ireland and the environmental uh, elements that, that um, are there. From the idea of developing the model, the main reason for developing the model is to show that we are actually looking at our carbon footprint of um, in, in the pig meat production sector. And we are working towards trying to improve that on a continuous basis in order to help reduce the, uh, the carbon footprint of pig meat production in the longer term. So with that, uh, I'd like to say thank you very much uh, for your attention. And I'll gladly take any questions now. Okay, Joe, thank you very much. Uh, a very interesting presentation. Uh, gives us a fairly broad view as well. A lot of us don't get a, a, an opportunity to have a close look at the, the pig sector very, very often. And it's, it's interesting to see the progress that's there. Uh, I would remind people to use the Q&A to, to submit any questions. I suppose just a, a, a few things to, to start. Uh, when you look at sustainability, and I suppose when Borbia are, are looking at sustainability and there is a, a, a pig uh, uh, quality assurance, uh, which uh, does incorporate a, a, a sustainability element, <clears throat> a number of factors will, will be considered. And I suppose one of the factors that's considered within that is the whole area of animal welfare. Yeah. Uh, would you just give us an idea of maybe some of the issues there that have been tackled over the last while and some of the upcoming issues in relation to animal welfare in the in the pig sector? Yeah, um, I, I suppose, Pat, the, the animal welfare concerns, let's say, that, that are coming at the sector, they cannot be ignored. Let's say the issue that, that would have started was the whole area of tethering sows. When I started as a young advisor, all sows were tethered in stalls. So uh, they, they, they were very um, confined in the, in the level of movement that they had. Um, that changed in 2013 all sows had to be lo uh, loose uh, during pregnancy. So now you have an allowance whereby from four, uh, from four weeks after service, all sows must be loose during pregnancy. And that, let's say, I know it sounds like 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 I'm I'm um, you know I, I, I'm I'm labouring this one, but the the farmers, I suppose, were very wary that performance would have been negatively affected by uh, uh, changing from an existing uh, system of confining sows to a loose system. 
And after a couple of years of the loose system, farmers realized that performance didn't drop. And in, in many ways, a number of farmers would have said to me, we're actually happier with that system of loose sows. So while change may have been slow in changing from that system, um, it, it certainly, you know, the, the, the farmers would have adopted that change. And in many cases, probably the, the costs, when I talk about it, it's a capital uh, intensive industry, the costs associated with those change, changes can be quite difficult. So um, the requirement, let's say, to put in extra accommodation for loose sows costs an awful lot of money. And a lot of farmers would say, okay, we're not getting a return on that from the, from the market. But they did it because they, they were required to do it. There would have been grants at the time from the department to, to help, help them get over that hurdle. The changes, changes that they made, most of them would look back and say they're actually happier now with that system than the previous system that they had. And, you know, future challenges that they will have, they, all pigs are to be reared with intact tails. That is a challenge. There, there's definitely a move towards loose farrowing uh, accommodation so that sows will farrow, but that maybe a couple, let's say a couple of days after they farrow, they will uh, be loose and in loose uh, farrowing uh, accommodation. Again, that's a challenge to the industry, but you know, there, the, the, the pig sector has always been very resilient in terms of, okay, we will deal with it. The reason I suppose that most farmers, and it's not that they're negative about any of these ideas, but they will look at it from a very business-like perspective and say, okay, we can do it, but the costs, let's say, have to start to yield a return to us as, us as well. You know, that um, they're, never, they're ne never negative about doing anything, and they would be a lot more positive if they felt that the market was going to yield a stronger price if they do these things. And I presume a level playing pitch across the industry worldwide is a, is a key factor there. Well, well that's a very definite plan, uh, issue. I mean, um, in 2011, we were, we were um, or sorry, 2013, we converted to all loose, loose farrowing. I would say maybe five, six years later, uh, other, other uh, areas of the world and large, large production uh, sectors of the world would have gone towards loose, loose uh, dry uh, pregnancy, uh, loose dry housing, you know, um, and it's not, you know, the Americans often look at us and say, okay, you, you, you can do, do it first and we'll learn from your mistakes. Um, and, you know, maybe four or five years later, they will, they will incorporate what we have done because the pressure starts to come from there, you know, um, from their consumers over there. But ultimately the welfare aspects of pig production, let's say, are, are something that all farmers are very conscious of. And I would say, you know, th those figures that I've shown you there, Pat, of 28.1 pigs per sow per year, you won't achieve those figures if you're if you're not, let's say, looking after your animals in a proper manner, you know, because they are they are quite exceptional figures. The the one thing I would always have said through the years was that very good pigmen will always be, let's say, they will always look after their stock because if they don't look after their stock, they won't get performance, right. you know, so... Um, but it is a consideration from a from a sustainability point of view, um, and it, it's hard to factor something like that into a model. But it's 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 something that the industry is very conscious of and, and aware of. Andy, a good few questions starting uh, there. Gerald, loads of questions coming in. Um, some maybe you might think. Uh, well, we, we'll go. We'll try and get through as many as we can. Uh, okay. Is the value of pig manure based on fresh manure? What is the real value if assuming that manure gets stored for long periods of time? So you know, is there a difference between stored manure and fresh manure when it's analysed? 
Yeah, um, I suppose that's looking at, at emissions from from housing and and uh, things like that. Um, but the the value is really based on on taking a sample of slurry that's maybe been stored for you know a period of time, that'd be ten or, or twelve weeks. Um, so you you will have some some emissions perhaps from that already. It's um, it's based on a four point point three percent dry matter, and really, I would say for any farmer that was using pig slurry, particularly on a tillage uh, situation, but uh, also in a grassland situation, they should start to look at well, what is the dry matter of the slurry that they have? And it's very easy to to assess that if you take a bucket of slurry uh, and put a you can buy a, a hydrometer for sixty five euros. I did it myself last week. Uh, you can buy a hydrometer and look at the dry matter, and if you see the dry matter is four percent, you can assume. That that the figures that I've shown there should be reasonably right, the, the bag of 19720. Um, if the dry matter is stronger, your nitrogen may be a little bit better, but your P and K will be will be stronger. And then if your if your uh, dry matter is lower, believe it or not, your nitrogen response will will probably be be good, but it may not have the same level of nitrogen. Um, and the reason that your nitrogen response will be will be very good is because being more dilute, it will actually wash into the root zone of the crop, whether it's grass or, or tillage, it will wash into the root zone of the, the crop and your nitrogen response from that slurry will, will be very, very uh, strong. We obviously have a few organic people looking in because um, once it, do you see any opportunity for beef farmers to finish pigs in straw bedded sheds, which are free for seven months of the year when cattle are at grass? Is that being done anywhere or um finishing pigs on straw i noticed there's one or two companies were looking to to go contract finish um and if if those farmers wanted to talk to the chagas pig advisors we could probably link them up with uh, the relevant people okay. um there may be requirements or investments because finishing pigs on straw can be quite uh, you know it, it's it's a good system except that in the winter time now you're, you're probably talking about the summertime if you're doing it in the summertime your feed conversions will be a lot better if you do it during the winter time because of the cold weather and poor insulation in the buildings uh, your feed conversions may suffer yeah well i presume they were talking about when Somewhere. the sheds were, were free and yeah. another one along that line it's an awful shame that organic farmers aren't allowed to use pig slurry. It will help both sectors enormously. And the same thing often crossed my head with derogation farmers. Now, I know there's an issue with the organic load, but, um, you know, that's probably more I of a comment. I cannot disagree with that, Andy. Yeah, more of a comment than a, than a question. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are there any studies being done um, to look at how odours in pig sheds negatively impact on pig performance? Yeah. Um... Not on odors, uh, Andy. What we're probably looking at, uh, we've, we have a student who's st started uh, looking at and, and started a PhD program looking at ammonia emissions for, uh, within pig houses. And um, that is, I suppose, a concern. I didn't mention it during our, our presentation there, but ammonia, while we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, uh, our greenhouse gas emissions are probably low, but our ammonia emissions are probably a greater concern from an environmental point of view. And the ammonia emissions, if we reduce protein levels in our diets, we can reduce, if we reduce the protein level in our diet by 1%, we can uh, reduce the ammonia emissions by 10 to 12%. Um, so that that can be uh, sort of a, a very definite way of doing it. A lot of farmers are starting to realize when I started as, a, as an advisor, maybe the right way to put this is um, when I started as an advisor in the 1990s, farmers were buying diets based on the protein level. And if you had a 20% protein diet, 
and a lad came in and said a minus 21%, well, they automatically thought that the 21% was actually a better diet, you know. And they're realizing now uh, finisher diets are back at maybe 17, 18% crude protein now. But farmers realize that by overfeeding protein to their pigs, you're actually uh, uh, disimproving your feed performance because, let's say, the, the, the pig actually has to use energy to excrete the excess protein. And uh, from that point of view, the farmers are reducing the protein diets, uh, protein in their diets and reducing the ammonia emissions as well. The odor one is very difficult, Andy, and I'm not trying to avoid the question, but uh, measuring odor and assessing odor and all of that becomes, let's say, a science within a science because there are so many gases associated with odor. I can't say uh, I ever heard the question asked before, to be honest, Ger. Uh, yeah, I know. No. So, so Ger, just on the, the issue of ammonia, I suppose a number of things being done uh, to try and, and uh, reduce ammonia, um, I suppose one thing is is in the, the, the realm of additives being added to slurries. There's uh, initiatives there about putting uh, uh, blocks of, of or cups of, of, of trees around the farmyard to, to, to uh, um, I suppose, take out some of the ammonia. And I suppose the third thing is keeping areas clean uh, where the animals are. Is there anything happening in the pig industry to take advantage of those uh, uh, potential areas to reduce ammonia emissions? Yeah, well, I, I would say the the areas that you've mentioned are are, are valid ways of, of of reducing odor emissions. The, the sector is very conscious that if you know if you have ammonia within the house, it will actually um, reduce your feed performance because it, it will affect the the actual health of the pigs from a respiratory point of view. So. Uh, by reducing protein, let's say, in the diet, you are greatly reducing your, your ammonia emissions. From a broader context of the pig unit, the idea of, of trees around the unit, let's say, is a good idea because you're now dispersing the, the um, uh, gases from the, the buildings up probably to a higher level, I would expect. Um, but the other area, I suppose, that people have to be conscious is, of is if they have outside storage on the farms, they also have to be covered to reduce the emissions as well. Um, and but I, I within houses, Pat, um, and I think that you know over the next number of years, anyone that wants to build new houses in in, in the past where where pig houses were built, they put deep tanks underneath them, um, and that was really to help them uh, ensure uh, adequate storage on the farm. Uh, there's probably a move away from that, given the the requirements at a European level. Uh, to have storage away from underneath the pigs are if you know and, and it depends our feed additives uh, are they the answer it'll be an interesting one over the next couple of years i'd like to think perhaps for existing houses are there solutions to help reduce the emissions from those houses i i, I am there may well be and i think that that's part of what i'd like to see this uh, phd student look at and assess uh, because it is an interesting area and it's an area that we're really just starting off on now rather than having the true information on Okay. Ger, I think you've asked, answered the next question there. It was in relation to ammonia. Have you any data or survey on the trends of mitigation of ammonia in the pig sector? So you're on, you're beginning that journey, sounds like. We're beginning, we're beginning that journney, really, um, Andy. I, and it's, I, you know, without doubt, the, the protein component of the diets, you know, within a house, I know quite well, let's say there was years when I was a young advisor, you were walking around buildings, but you could feel your eyes starting to water because the ammonia within the house was, was much, much greater. And you know, over time, farmers have reduced the protein levels in their diets. 
Um, and that has had a bearing in, in, in terms of uh, reducing the emissions. But you can feel it yourself, let's say, walking around a pig house. You, you know it quite well that, that, that it is greatly improved. Yeah. Um, one probably pretty specific one, maybe very interesting talk. Thank you, Jared. Do you have the statistics on veterinary costs and trends as an ongoing overhead in the pig sector compared to other sectors? Any specific veterinary costs? Um, we, when we when we do the the profit monitor analysis each year, we will we will work out the costs of production. Um, and really, let's say I'm I'm wary of saying that that's the true veterinary cost. You know, you might come out at four or five cent per kilo of pig meat. That's the the, the healthcare cost. Okay, the reason I'm I'm wary of taking that veterinary cost out of it uh, is that. In the past, there was a, a high level of infeed medication going into diets, let's say, on some farms, and they may have included that in their feed costs rather than rather than in their healthcare costs. So, where you're taking a bland figure from a, a database, you just need to be sure that that everyone is recording it accordingly. We do have some work, let's say, specifically with farms that are used that are in the National Farm Survey, and um, that work would show the, the veterinary costs, let's say, I, I would feel anyway a lot more accurately because they will take each item and, and uh, appropriate it to uh, the, the various sections a lot more um, um, accurately. And uh, there, there, there are veterinary costs there. I suppose to an extent what's happening is that the usage of antibiotics on farms has greatly reduced over the last uh, five, six years. And the, the veterinary costs uh, are probably increasing a little bit because farmers are using more vaccines to prevent disease rather than allow diseases, let's say, uh, develop on their farms. So, um, you know, I, if, if it's a specific farmer, let's say, I, if somebody wants to come back to me with, with any information or mm -hmm. uh, specific questions, I'll gladly deal with them by, by email or otherwise. Like you know. other enterprises, the cost is there, but we're switching from prevention yeah, to cure. <laughs> Absolutely, Andy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and let's say so. Really, we're we're switching from cure to, to prevention. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's another question there in, in relation. You don't mention the slurry content of the pig slurry, uh, which is an important nutrient for grass and arable crops. Any thoughts? Do you have any sulfur, Andy? Oh, sorry, sulfur. Sorry, <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I um I I haven't because I know. <laughs> let's say. You know, I've, I've stuck to the N, P and K that we can stand over. And let's say you have sulfur, uh, you may you may also have zinc, copper, manganese, uh, magnesium in, in, in pig slurry as well. You know, those nutrients are there. Um, you know, the, the other area is that particularly on tillage farms, uh, by using pig slurry or, or any organic fertilizer on it, you are improving the organic um uh, the, the carbon uh, loading or, or the carbon, let's say, you're, you're replacing more carbon onto it. So you're improving the organic matter in the, in the soils, you know, and that will help. We, we did two signpost demonstrations there at the end of uh, March and uh, in, in uh, early April in tandem with the tillage specialists, particularly uh, John Mahan and Mark Plunkett. And really, let's say, both Mark and John would have highlighted that the soil structure, where lands are getting, uh, in, in both of those, the signpost farms that we did the demos on, it was pig, pig slurry they were using. But in both cases, they would say the soil structure has greatly improved uh, and the soil uh, biodiversity has greatly improved by uh, receiving uh, pig slurry over a number of years. Um, and that's really because the organic matter of the soil has, uh, has uh, in, increased 
and uh, the 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 worm population they said has has greatly improved as well within that within that there, size. There, in terms of of I suppose structural changes or structural investment to facilitate uh, the the I suppose the better use of slurry and and the safer use of of, of, of pig slurry. I, I suppose that the more we learn about nitrate in particular, the more we realise that there are times of the year, particularly autumn right through to to early spring where we really need to be avoiding uh, uh, application of of nitrogen because it's not being used. What, in your view, is is necessary for us to try and maximise the the, uh, ability to effectively use pig slurry? Yeah. Yeah. I think, Pat, let's say if I go back to those two signpost farms and and there will be an article written in the next uh, Today's Farm um, on, on one of them, um, the two farms were our tillage farms. Uh, the, the one that, let's say, that the article is written on in, in today's farm is a pig farm that has tillage ground around it. That, that farm has 95 hectares of, um, of tillage. And the use, let's say, historically, that farm would have used the, the slurry in the autumn time. So they went out, applied, let's say, two to 3,000 gallons of slurry uh, in the autumn time per acre. They went to the, the the demonstration last year on a sign on, on the other signpost farm um, that is using pig slurry on the growing crop. So they, it's winter cereals, uh, and in springtime, there go. Let's say that farm is using slurry to replace the chemical nitrogen on on the growing crop. So uh, the the pig farmer with his tillage ground of ninety five hectares uh, this year. And, and last year, having seen it last year, he went off and, and actually spread uh, his own slurry on, on the growing crop and realized that he could replace the chemical fertilizer. Um, and the replacement rate is anything from 50 to 70 kilos of chemical nitrogen that he is replacing uh, by using slurry on a growing crop in the springtime. Now, that farm with 95 hectares is uh, saving himself well over 20 tons of can per year by switching from the autumn application to the springtime application. To, to answer your question, what is the, the limiting factor there? Ultimately, the limiting factor is storage. He needs to move from six-month storage to 12-month storage. But when he's seen those savings on the nitrogen, he has no problem doing that. For a general tillage farmer that is considering using a slurry uh, in the springtime on, on winter cereals are using it, let's say, on, on uh, crops like spring barley. The, the main item is that they have the slurry there available when they need it. So the requirement to have slurry uh, storage on, on those farms is probably what, what's the greatest need. And by doing that, my, my pig farmer, let's say, that has six-month storage for him to have slurry storage on tillage farms that are going to use it, he can fill those up in the, in the wintertime, have them ready so that the slurry is actually there in springtime when they need it. And uh, so that you're not chasing up and down the road for starters with whole loads of, of slurry tankers. Uh, that, that's the first issue. The second issue I'd say there is that, you know, the umbilical system uh, on a tillage situation in springtime does allow you get out on land, uh, apply appropriate levels at the right time in a quick in a quick time frame and that's the secret in terms of getting slurry out on growing crops we were in the netherlands 
uh, in the early 2000s and we saw they were doing that, you know, uh, or sorry, not in the Netherlands, in Denmark, they were doing that on a constant basis. And we need to learn from that and save ourselves, ultimately save ourselves money. But in saving ourselves money, we're also helping improve the, the carbon footprint of the tillage enterprise as well. Okay, uh, listen, thank you very much. Is there any other final question, Andy, or...? Um, well, probably one last one, Jerry. I don't know if, <laughs> how you are in, in in margins or whether you were looking a bit into the future in this one. It says, is there a minimum margin of selling price over feed cost to stay viable? It says 26 cents seems no. very last yeah, so 26 cents. Yeah, I, I should have but said. The, the end of the question, I think, is very mm. interesting. Are, are there any subsidies being considered to help farmers with sustainability? Milk processors now have programs to help farmers. What about pig processors? Yeah. Um, uh, to answer the first question, the margin over feed that we've always talked about was anything from 45 to 50 cent. Um, and mm. that's where, let's say, I should have said that in, the, in that slide where I showed the 26 cent was the margin over feed, let's say, last year and in 1999. Uh, the margin over feed, let's say, last year, because energy costs went up, you could add certainly 5 cents. So you were probably up at closer to 55 cent as the margin over feed required to uh, cover your production costs. So um, the second part of the question, are there subsidies there? I, 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 there I, um, I don't know. I think that the market ultimately is going to have to provide the, the return on it. So, you know, uh, you know, pig meat prices have gone up um, over the last uh, couple of months uh, to, to, to pig farmers. Uh, I don't know. Let's say that's reflected somewhat uh, for people in shops. But ultimately, I, I think we do need to get to the point where um, the the pig meat that people buy, they realize that they're buying something and they will pay a little bit more for something if they deem that it's it's uh, more compliant with sustainability and uh, other factors. And we need to highlight that, but we need to use it as part of the marketing as well. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Ger, for you. your presentation and for a lot of, of the, the, the questions. I think it's given us an insight into an area that for a lot of people is probably a little bit invisible. Uh, so uh, thanks for that. And I think there's scope to, to come back again. I think it, it's obvious an awful lot in the sustainability of the pig sector, an awful lot of work has to be done, but there's uh, still a journey uh, and uh, you and your colleagues are, are I suppose, a, an important part of that journey. So thank you very much. My, my uh, next week, we'll be joined by Deirdre Ryan of Borbia. Deirdre is the Director of Sustainability, Quality Assurance and, and Origin Green. And her talk is on uh, uh, the Borbia Sustainability Strategy for, for Irish Food. I think it should be a, a really interesting insight into the approach that they're taking to make sure that on an international basis, Irish food has been seen as, as both high quality and sustainable uh, on an ongoing basis and on an increasing basis. So thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to say thanks to our production team, Andy Boland and Yvonne Maher, and I hope to see you all again this time next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.